Well, as I said, I, I have the <clears throat> honor and the opportunity to get the chance to, to speak today and to preach today. And uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you to Pastor Scott. I don't know where he went. Oh, there he is back there. Thank you, Pastor Scott. That is amazing that you allow the elders to come in and share the pulpit with you. It's an honor to get to do so. And, uh, and so appreciate that. And thank you to Autumn. I think she walked out for kids. But Autumn, thank you so much um, for leading us this morning. She did an amazing job. And it is awesome um, to see God allowing people to use their gifts for His glory. Uh, and there's nothing better than hearing you guys sing on a Sunday morning. Uh, so thank you for that as we gather together in worship in song and now moving into the declaration of His Word. And as we as elders sit down and and uh, talk about the preaching calendar and where we're going to go and what it's going to look like. Pastor Scott does something very wisely and very helpful to each of us in that he takes each section and kind of gives it a title. For the consistency's sake of us as we preach and where we are headed with each series as we're in this series of 1 Peter. And the title that he gave to this particular section of 1 Peter 4, 12-19 was uh, Suffering with Hope. Suffering with Hope. And as I, I went through and prepared for this, um, I went through a lot of emotions uh, as you read through this passage and you think about it. And Pastor Scott, I think you nailed it with that title of Suffering with Hope that, that encompasses where Peter is headed here. And, and, and I just have to tell you guys, as, as I sat at the dinner table preparing um, many a night, there were moments of, of, of tears being in my eyes as I, as I thought about the, the Christians in this time and their suffering and, and those who have suffered over the course of time and those who still suffer today in the persecuted church for the name of Christ, to bear the name Christian, knowing that when they accept Christ, that suffering will come, even to the point of possibly losing their life. But the one who comes, becomes a believer in the, in the Chinese persecuted church knows that if they're going to be baptized, it's probably going to be in the middle of winter, in the middle of night, when the guards are too cold to go outside. For the Muslim who accepts Christ, knowing that the moment their family finds out, they will be put out of their family for good and no longer even acknowledged and possibly even killed for their faith. And so in those moments, sitting there and reading through this and preparing and thinking about it, tears welling up in my eyes, thinking about what it cost them, and in other times, wanting to get out of my chair and, and jump with joy for the hope that we find in this passage of things to come as we sing songs like, Heaven stands, though the world is failing. But the kids were sleeping, so I had to be quiet. Right? So, whoo. And it's not my, my goal to take you through those same emotions with me today. But as I looked at it, as I thought about it, that theme of suffering with hope, and what does that look like? What did it look like for these Christians that Peter's writing to? What does it look like for us today? What does it look like for the, the person in, in, the, in the persecuted church of China? What does it look like for those of us sitting in the church next door in America where we celebrate certain freedoms? That we can gather here, sing as loud as we want, and not care who knows that we're coming to church. What does that look like? How do we do that? And then, as I read through this passage, my, my ADD kicked in, and my scriptural ADD kicked in all the more. And then every time I read a passage, my mind went to somewhere else in scripture. But the cool thing was, is I followed these rabbit trails. Every time it was there, it was, it was just God's word confirming God's word. 
That as I read this passage and another piece of scripture would come up, it was, it was either seeing it lived out in the life of, of Christ or, or a believer or, or hearing Christ teach on it or, or one of the apostles share. So I'm going to try to take you a little bit on the ADD journey with me this morning in scripture. So just hold on. I'm going to try to put them on the screen so that you can see them. We're not all flipping like crazy, okay? Um, but it was, that was one of those things that just encouraged me as I was going through this passage of of God, time and time again, you use your word to solidify your word. And it reminds me of the big picture that God sees and we often miss. Be it in his word, be it in his timing, be it in suffering with faith. And so as we begin this passage, we have to start with an assumption. It's an assumption that Peter makes, and it's one that we see him even write about in the first chapter of this book, and that is that it is not an if suffering comes, but a when. It's not maybe it might happen, but it will happen, because we live in a fallen world, and suffering is a piece of that. But the greater question is, how do we suffer? How do we go through those trials. So as we begin our, our scriptural ADD journey, we'll start um, here at 1 Peter 4.12 where it all begins. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Hmm. We could just stay right there all day, right? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. As though something strange were happening to you. Again, beginning with this assumption, not an if, but a when. Pastor Scott has shared with us about the, the persecution of these Christians and, and being, being put on stakes and burned alive to be torches in the garden. And, and to bear the name of Christian means that you were ostracized from society and that you were looked down upon and that you were belittled for who you were and that you believed in this Christ and this Jesus. And so they knew that these things were coming. And so he begins there and, and we see in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, and we're going to come to that again here in our verse, more precious than gold, that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't be surprised by suffering as if something strange is happening to you. Christian, today, when suffering comes, don't be surprised as though something weird is happening to you. It's a part of life. We all know that just because we know Jesus does not mean that all the world is roses. Suffering still comes. And for these Christians, it looked like that, that persecution for being a Christian. Suffering can take on many different forms, right? We have all walked through the trials. We've all suffered through things, be it, be it loss of a family member, Loss of a job, a fight with the family, sickness, ridicule. We've all walked through it. And as I thought about this, be not surprised. My mind also traveled back to Matthew 15, where Jesus, knowing that this would be coming, 
doesn't hide it. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the world, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Beloved, don't be surprised by the sufferings and the fiery trial when it comes. As though something strange were happening to you. And now fiery trial, that's the next part that I want us to look at because that's a, an interesting word choice uh, on Peter's part. Oh, we're going crazy, aren't we? Sorry. When you look at it, when you look at the Greek for, for fiery trial, the, the word is uh, purosis, okay? And if you see it spelled, it's P-Y-R-O-S-I-S. So first three letters, pyro. We all know where that comes from, what word comes from that, right? Fire, Okay. So do not be surprised by the fiery trial. And and the idea behind this Greek word is this. A burning by which metals are roasted and reduced. By a figure drawn from a refiner's fire. I love that. Calamities or trials that test the character. Do not be surprised by the fiery trials when they come. This fiery trial, this idea that that, that God is is testing us, is working out in us things. Now, it's not necessarily a a, a pass-fail test like I would give to my pre-algebra students, right? Okay, there is a piece of that. There's a piece of that for those who do not know him and those who are not faithful will not survive the test. God will separate. It's it's, it's a little bit like this. Um, One of these is not like the other. Okay, one of these is real gold, one of these is fool's gold. Pretty hard to tell, unless you do this sort of thing, and then you're like, oh, there it is. But one of these is fool's gold, and one of these is real gold. And and there's different ways to tell, be it by, by their weight, by these different pieces, but one way to tell is to put it in the fire. And when the gold goes into the fire, the impurities rise up so they can be swept off the top, And what is left is pure gold that is moldable, mendable. You can be poured in and shaped into beautiful things. Beautiful jewelry, beautiful statues, beautiful ornaments. But when you put fool's gold into the fire, it's actually a mineral. It's not even a metal. So it doesn't burn. It just begins to pop and eventually the sulfur within it begins to burn. And so you smell sulfur coming out of it. And if you get it hot enough and leave it in there long enough, it turns into a brittle black brick. And this idea of the refiner's fire. That we as his sons and daughters, as he he allows these things to come in, because the Greek also here kind of has this insinuation that that it's, it's not by chance. It's something that's allowed into the life of the believer. So we live in this fallen world and the fiery trials come along. That God uses it to allow those impurities to be discovered and to be worked out of your life. That you may be moldable impure in your faith and sanctified in Him and may walk out as a beautiful treasure, a beautiful ambassador of the gospel to the world. So there is this testing of what is fool's gold and what is real. By the way, the one on the right is the real one. 
You all knew that already, didn't you? Yeah, it's okay. Just in case. But this idea of the refiner's fire, this fiery trial, this going through this to be refined. So then we move on. So we think about God and His graciousness allowing us to walk through those fiery trials. To live in those places. To, 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 to walk through it. And, and, and to suffer with faith as we think about this. It's not a question of God, what did I do to deserve this? But God, what are you doing in this moment? It's not a question of why me, God? But a question of how are you glorifying for others to see and know that you are God? How are you refining me? How are you growing me? How are you helping me to draw closer to you through this? That I may walk more faithfully with you. And again, as I, as, I, as I thought about this, and we'll see Peter also hit it in verse 19. I think 19 wraps this whole thing up really well. But, but in verse 19, he talks about um, at the, suffering in the will of God. And I thought about that, and I thought, okay. And, and then the, the Greek insinuating that this is something that is allowed and not perchance. I thought, God, what does that look like? Suffering in your will, and, and, and what is that? And, and he took me back. To John chapter 9, if, if you know this story, and not a story, this historical event, but, but Jesus and the disciples are walking down the road and there's a man sitting there who's been blind since birth. And the question that the disciples ask him is, is Jesus who sinned, this man or his father, that he would be born blind? In their, in their limited worldview, the only thing they could think was the reason he's suffering is because somebody caused it. It's the fault of someone, whether it's himself how he did that before birth, I'm not sure. Or his parents is why he's blind. So there must be a reason for this suffering. But I love Jesus' response. He says, it was not a sin of himself or his parents, but so that the works of God could be revealed through him. Now, do you think that this man who was known, as we read the rest of the story, as the one who begged by the side of the road, do you think that there was no suffering for him or his parents as he was born blind and grew up as a beggar? Of course there was. But do you also not know that our God, the God who sees beyond the moment, knew from the minute those eyes opened to see nothing, the day was coming that Jesus would put some mud on them and they would see his glory. And others would see it through him. That the works of God might be seen. Wow. Wow, John Piper talks about this whole verse, this whole section of verses being able to help us build a biblical worldview of suffering. And this is a piece of it, to understand that God is bigger than those moments. God is faithful to us in those moments. And in 19, he talks about us entrusting our souls, that, that we may trust in him and know that he is working for a greater good. Know that he is working for a greater cause in these things. And then Peter moves us into verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Mm. That you may also be glad when His glory is revealed. No matter how much you suffer for Christ, 
Continue to rejoice with God's joy and faithfulness in your life. And remain faithful so that when Christ returns in all His glory, you may rejoice with the saved. Right? What a hope He puts there for us to look forward to and to think about and to strive for and to rest on heaven's stands as we walk through those trials with our Father. So again, my scriptural ADD, this is where my mind went. In Romans 8, 16 and 18, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Amen, right? Amen. We don't spend any more time on that verse because that just, that nails it. Wow. There's hope in the suffering. Let's move on. Verse 14. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Let me say that again. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, think about these Christians and where they were and what it was costing them and what they knew was coming if they accepted Christ and they, they stepped into this. If you, were, if you were insulted for the name of Christ, you were blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Mm. Again, think of, these, think of these, just picture these things in your mind. As the insults come, as, 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 as people look down upon you, as the ridicule comes, and some of you probably have experienced this even in your own lives. Maybe not to the extent that they have, but, but, but people looking down upon you because you're a Christian or because you choose not to do the things of this world that they want you to do. Or you choose not to, 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 to be dishonest when they want you to be, or whatever that might look like. And you receive some ridicule. Or you lose a friend, and that relationship grows a little bit more stale because you're no longer that person that they knew, right? We've walked through those things. You are blessed. You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. We accept Christ and are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. The spirit of God rests upon you. And again, in my mind, I headed over to the Sermon on the Mount. Again, Jesus, knowing that persecution was coming as he taught in the Sermon on the Mount and gave the Beatitudes, what were his words? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice! There he says it again. Rejoice in that persecution. And be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What amazing words from our Savior. Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, what an amazing, amazing, amazing promise. As we suffer for Christ's sake, it shows that God's Spirit is upon us. We don't belong here, right? We are a new creation, set apart, no longer bound to sin, no longer bound to the things of this world, but fighting against them, and Satan knows that. 
And he's going to fight against that. And blessed are you when those trials come. Our suffering is a blessing. Our suffering is a blessing. We, we change again that perspective in that world where our suffering is, yes, something that is difficult to walk through, but it is also a blessing as it draws us nearer to our Father, as it works these things out in our lives that only helps to purify our relationship, to crispen His voice in our ear, to strengthen our ability to stand firm as we saw in that opening slide of, of kind of the title slide for this whole series, in our Father. Blessed are the persecuted. And then I also went to Romans 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not push us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Man. Awesome. Thank you, Father. Again, as we see the strengthening and God working, endurance, character, hope. Hope of what is to come. Hope of the glory to be revealed as we stand, as our Savior returns and sets all things right. We rejoice with the righteous in His glory. And then Peter issues, in in verse 15, he issues a, a warning to these guys and to us, but let not you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. In other words, Christian, watch your witness. Watch your witness in how you live and in how you suffer. Because the moment that we take on the things of this earth, we have brought the eyes from heaven to here. Christian, watch your witness. If we suffer as sinners, we no longer bring glory to God. Rather, we tarnish the name of Christ and the glory of God as we suffer for things of this world. As they look at us, they say, who is this that claims to be a Christian on trial for things which he should stand against? And again, scripturally, going back to Matthew 5 again, Where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything. Except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now are we talking about, uh, if, if we fell in this area about losing our salvation? No. No. But what we are saying is that though we may stand in the grace and the goodness and the glory of God and be redeemed, the moment in that moment to point others to Christ through our suffering has been pushed aside and that salt in that moment has lost its saltiness, its flavor, its ability to bring change because the focus has been brought back to this earth. I think about this today. Right, We've seen all the riots and all the things going on on TV and, and, and their cry is social justice, standing against injustice. But the moment they break the window of that innocent store owner or they set that car on fire or they do these things, their whole cause is pff, 
Right? Because the thing we stand against, we're doing. So why should we listen to you? Christian, it's the same for us. The moment we take our eyes off the Father and we embrace the things of this world, why should we listen? You're no different than me, the world says. So what validity is there in your message? I don't know if you like Netflix or not. Beyond that, my wife and I have been watching. We've only two episodes in. It's pretty good. But we're watching this new series called I'm a Murderer Release. I know, don't judge me on the title. Okay? But it's the story of this man who, who killed someone when he was in his 20s and in the, in the 80s. And, and he went on death row and then he was released. And while he's in prison, he found God. He came to know Christ. He's become an ordained minister. He spends three to four hours studying the Word of God throughout the day. And, and has turned his life around, and, and through a series of events, he's now out on parole. But he said something very profound. I think it was in the first episode, if not the second. It's all that we've seen, so I hope this thing turns out. But he said, I will always be known as a murderer. Though I have turned my life over to Christ, though I uh, have, am doing good and have done good, all the 30 years I've spent in prison, the first thing people will see when they know me is a murderer. They will not trust me because I'm a murderer. They will not hire me because I'm a murderer. His message has been tainted. Now, is that something God can overcome? Amen, yes, He can. And He can use that testimony for good down the road. But there will always be a hurdle that He must overcome. Make sure you don't suffer for the things of this world, for being a murderer, a thief, a meddler. Other, other verses say a meddler in the ways of men, a gossip, one who stirs up trouble, one who, who causes discontent. And then he moves into 16 and brings it around. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Amen. Right? Amen. Don't be the one who is suffering for the things of sin, but when you are suffering for the name of Christ, rejoice. It is not something to be ashamed of. Let the world know, because as they know, they may be pointed to God. As they walk to you, walk through it. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name, in the name Christian. We may walk through that humbly and boldly, putting our faith and our trust in God and putting our money or our mouth, whatever, how you want to say that, but living out what we are saying and that we actually proclaim that we believe it. We actually proclaim and we stand on it and we let others know that I'm following God in this, that they may see His faithfulness and His glory may be revealed and they may be drawn to the Father through our suffering. A couple of times in Scripture, again, that I think about this, one of those uh, in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We see them standing in front of, of Nebuchadnezzar. We all know the story. He's made the big statue. When the music plays, you have to kneel. And they say, we won't. And he's got them at this point. And he, and he tells them, if you don't do it, you're going to die. I'm going to put you in the furnace. And what's the response? 
God may save us, he may not, but we cannot go against him. We have to follow our, our God, right? Infuriates him. What does he do? He heats the furnace up seven times, and even those who are bringing them in when the door is open, they die instantly. They're thrown into the fire. Nebuchadnezzar looks in and says, I thought we put three in there. Now there's four, and one of them looks like the son of the gods. What's going on with that? He calls them out. They come out of the fire. The only thing touched them were the ropes that had bound them, and now they are free. I love that Scripture even says they don't even smell like smoke. Not a hair on their head, not, not a part of them was touched by the fire. They didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. And what is Nebuchadnezzar's declaration? Glory to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God of the highest. And as Peter wrote this, perhaps his mind went back to a time in his own life that we find in Acts chapter 5. When he and the apostles were were arrested by the Sadducees because they were jealous of them and told not to preach. And an angel of the Lord came that night and delivered them from prison and said, go back into the temple and declare God's glory and declare the gospel. And so that next morning, where were they? They were right back in there, right? And the, the, they come to the, the public prison, the, the, the high priests, the Sadducees, and they say, where are they? And someone says, they're back preaching again, Right? And so they bring them back in, and that's where we pick up here. They, they, first, they wanted to stone them and kill them, but a guy, one of them said, that's not a good idea. We probably shouldn't do that. So now we've reached this point that they're going, okay, we just got to dissuade them from proclaiming the gospel, from teaching and from preaching. And so that's where we pick up here in Acts chapter 5, verse 40. It says, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them, and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And now here's this amazing picture. Then they left, this is Peter and the apostles, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonest, dishonor for the name. And they left the council having just been beaten and told, don't do it again. They left there rejoicing that they had been beaten because in that they knew that they were counted worthy to be dishonored for the name of Jesus. And it didn't dissuade them, did it? And every day in the temple and from the house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. So many times as you hear stories of the persecuted church, it's not that they, as the pressure comes on, that they get smaller, but actually it begins to expand and grow. They left rejoicing, encouraged to continue in the work that God had called them to do. As we move into 17 and 18, I, I really I want to, I'd like to put these two together because really Peter kind of asked the same question two times. 17a and 18a kind of go together and 17b and 18b go together. And so I want to read both of these for you. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, he's quoting out of Proverbs here, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Who's the household of God? Us. His sons and daughters, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The time has come that the judgment is even for us 
the righteous, the household of God, his sons and daughters, co-heirs of the kingdom with Christ. The time has come for that judgment. And then we see in 18a, but if the righteous be scarcely saved. Does it say the righteous can't be saved? No, it says that they are saved, right? And yes, it was tough. It cost Jesus everything for the righteous to be saved. And it cost his suffering. If we think about Jesus in the garden as he weeps and he prays and and he asks God, if there's any way for this to, to pass, let it be, but not my will, but yours be done. And scripture tells us he sweat blood. That's a medical event that actually happens that when someone is under so much stress, the capillaries begin to burst. And as they sweat, the blood comes out. And so it's the appearance of sweating blood. He was under immense suffering and stress. And it cost him everything on the cross, including the father turning his back on the sin that he carried. So yes, the righteous are saved. and You can stand in that confidence. But if it is that difficult for the righteous to be saved, if it is that judgment that is being brought against God's own children, what then of the sinner? What then awaits the one who is unwilling to accept the gospel? And we all know what the answer to that is. Hell and damnation and separation from God for eternity. So when I read that, in my mind, screaming at the top of its lungs is, somebody's got to tell them! We don't want them to be counted in that second half of the verse. We want them to join us as the righteous in the first half of the verse. And as we suffer with faith, that is one of the ways that they can be told. And as we suffer with faith and we are put through the fire and and God works things out in us and we are molded into the ambassadors that He's called and created us to be and given us the gifts that He's given us for those very reasons to spread His name, we are equipped to go and proclaim to those who do not believe that He is Lord. What then? What then of the sinner then we hit verse 19 therefore in light of all these things therefore let those who suffer according to God's will again there's that allowing that suffering to come in walking us through the refiner's fire a loving savior who is gracious enough to allow us to suffer A loving Savior who is gracious enough to give us strength and to walk with us and to work hard with us that we may grow in our relationship with Him and our strength and our faith. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls Mm. to a faithful Creator while doing good. Those who suffer They're enduring the fiery trial according to God's will 
allowing God to purify, strengthen, and shape them through their, his faithfulness and their faithful walking through those, entrusting their souls, building their own faith, strengthening their faith, firming up their trust, our trust in God, entrusting ourselves to him, to the faithful creator, the one who created everything that has been, ever will be, the one who spoke and it was, who speaks and it is, and the one who has set you apart as a new creation, taking the heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh that is no longer bound to sin, that creator, that's the one that we get to entrust our souls to. In doing what is right. Living a life of faithfulness to God, glorifying Him in our suffering for Him and in obedience to Him. Wow. Wow. When we suffer as God has called us to, we glorify Him in our sufferings, we are entrusting ourselves to His will and His hand. As I said at the beginning, these Christians were facing daily persecutions just for being Christians. And I believe here in America, we've, we've been on easy street for quite a while, but it may be getting a little more difficult even here. Pastor Paul shared with us a, an article in The Courier this week calling for people to tell on churches and businesses and things of the like who were not following COVID protocol. Now, praise the Lord, our Prescott Valley mayor took a little bit of a stand against that in his response. Praise the Lord that we have that support. But as we see it in California, as churches have fought for the right to meet. Not trying to give doom and gloom, but I'm just saying we've, we've had it pretty easy for a while, but it could become a little more difficult for us too. But we're also reminded that suffering is beyond just just that for being a Christian is God calls us to walk through difficult things that happen in this fallen world and death and loss and difficulties. We may entrust ourselves to Him. And so as we, church, walk through those fiery trials of our own life seeking to suffer with faith, faith that God is working to purify us and shape us for His glory, that God will be glorified in this suffering and in the time to come. That he will draw us to him, and in doing so, draw others to him through that suffering. He is with us the entire time, and that one day, Christ will return and set all things right. And we shall celebrate with the righteous in his glory. My mind traveled over, once again, to Romans. I want to read this as a declaration over you is an encouragement to you as we celebrate who God is. Chapter 8, starting at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's us, his sons and daughters, the righteous ones. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, and we can be sure. And as we walk through fiery trials, we will stand on the fact that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to come to hear your word. We thank you for what you do for us. That you are faithful to us and that you love us enough to allow us to suffer with faith. That we may be refined and purified in our faith. And your light may shine all the brighter from within us for the world to see and know that you are God. And that our relationship with you may grow more intimate, more powerful. And our trust in you may be strengthened and we may entrust our souls to you. For your glory to be revealed to all the souls that you've put into our lives. May we stand on the fact that you are God and you are working. You are loving. You are powerful. And as we sing these words of this hymn of it is well with my soul that we fix our eyes and our hearts and our minds on you in Jesus name Amen